That was Michael Franti. Good day for a good day. And he should know. Helen Hayes meets an internationally known musician and his wife who've built a reputation for their yoga retreat, Soulshine, in Bali. And it's no understatement to say that the very well-travelled Helen was impressed, not only with the community Michael Franti and his wife Sarah have built, but the philosophy behind it all. Well, Michael, I just wanted to know, when you first got into yoga? It was, uh, I remember it specifically because it was September 12, 2001, the day after the attacks of 9-11. And I went into a yoga room. My body was stiff and sore and tired from being on tour uh, for years. And, uh, and I was stressed out like everybody was in our country at that time. And I walked out of there just feeling different, just feeling like a little bit better. And I was like, ah, I want more of this. So I started going to a different studio every day on tour. And um, that was the start of the practice. When did you first become interested in doing it a different way, wellness? Hmm. Well, I just, I guess I just feel like I've never been a kind of uh, really woo-woo person, for lack of a better word. You know, like people... Uh, some people really connect with like crystals and healing in that way and stuff. And I've just never have been that. And so I always am very much cons only concerned with like what's happening with me in that moment in that regard. Like is my, not only is my body hurting, but is like my soul hurting in some way. Am I sad and am I grieving something? Am I letting go of something? Am I, am I angry about something? And so, for me, um, those things only, they don't happen if I sit there with a crystal. They happen if I talk about it and if I let it out um, or if I let it out some way through my body. And so I always just thought that there's more than one way. And so at Soulshine, we wanted to create a place where there could be all kinds of people, any kind of person's experience of how they connect to that which is greater than themselves, how they connect to their own emotions, but mainly how we connect to one another. So when you're on the road, obviously it's very tiring because you spend hours in a bus and you, you don't get much sleep. So you have to look after your body. So the yoga must um, come into that a long yeah. way. And then the overall wellness, because it must get exhausting. Yeah, get really tired, physically tired um, on tour. And, and yoga is a great way because when I'm on stage, I'm doing a lot of exertion. So yoga is a more, it's, you know, stretching and it's loosening up my body after it's getting really filled with all kinds of lactic acid and everything else. But it's still, at the end of the day, to me, it comes down to, like, am I able to quiet my mind for a while? Am I able to get out of my head about all the things that are happening on tour and in my life and in years past and years ahead and all these things that I'm... Um, my mind is constantly um, surrounded by. So it's it's both. It's physical and it's... And musical also must be an important outlet for you. Yeah, yeah. Music helps me to get out or to talk about what I'm going through. And then I get to play those songs for other people and connect with other people, you know. And and that's, you know, as a, as a hotel here, Sarah and I wanted this place to be about sound and wellness because we both really believe in the healing power of music and that's why we started our nonprofit do it for love and um, 
to bring people with advanced stages of life-threatening illness to concerts, but it's also why, why we do so much music here. Well, while we're on that subject, Sarah, I've um, got to bring you in. The Do It For The Love, it's 10 years old next year, so tell us a little bit about that, how it was established and and some of the, like obviously every one of them is a success story yeah, because yeah. it's special to that person. Yeah. Well, my background, I was an ER nurse for 10 years and Michael being a musician, we always wanted to do something together when we got married and got into partnership and we just weren't sure what that would look like. But giving back was always a really big part of both of our both of our lives growing up. And um, it was April of 2013, we met a couple named Hope and Steve December. And Steve was living with ALS at the time. And this was before the Ice Bucket Challenge. So people didn't really know what ALS was. And they were at this music festival in Florida and they kept tweeting at Michael saying, this might be Steve's last show, we'd really love to meet you. And so Michael tweeted back and they connected and he invited them to come to the side of the stage and so that we could meet. And the day before the festival, Michael was saying, you know, have you noticed that I've been retweeting these tweets and their handle was very sweet, it was Hope for Steve and his wife's name being Hope. And I said, yeah, I wonder what their story is. So I went on their website and you could see their wedding video. And at the time he was able body and was able to walk down the aisle. And then when we met him that day, he was now in a wheelchair and you could just read his lips. He was speaking in whispers. So we invited them to the side of the stage and then Michael was started playing Life is Better with You, which is, which is a beautiful song that he wrote for me. And he invited them onto the stage and they were having this really beautiful moment. And then Steve whispers to Hope, he says, I want to get up and dance. And so Hope picks Steve up and they have this beautiful slow dance on the stage and I'm crying and Michael's crying and 20,000 people in the audience are crying. And it was so important to us because Steve was now seen for the person that he is and not his wheelchair, not the disease that he was fighting at the time. So it was special. It was really special. And so we went home that night and we thought we could do this for thousands of people. And so that's how we started Do It For The Love. And since uh, since 2013, we've sent over 12,000 people to a live concert experience. And we've just met so many families. And what it's taught me in particular is that none of us are immune to heartache and sadness and disease and illness and what it, it's really taught me on a personal level is that I just don't want to live with regret I want to live every day in the fullest we're not immune to anything like any anything could happen to one of us we could wake up one morning and get any kind of news that these families are going with and as a matter of fact one year after we started Duke for the Love Michael's son was diagnosed with a chronic kidney disease which required a transplant and my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer and I was able to like tap into these families that we met and to see their resiliency. And even though the outcome was sad, like people were losing their family members, but they were holding on to these core memories that they were able to make through Do For The Love. And that's been really That's special. just so amazing. So you bought the land here in 2008. Mm -hmm. And what, what were some of the things that made you fall in love with this particular piece of land? Well, um, first of all, we looked at over 30 different places and this is the last place we saw on the way to the airport to leave and um, I saw the river and then there was just this you know thick jungle of uh, a former banana farm that had just been overgrown with vines and uh, then I walked out to the end of it and I kind of climbed up onto a, like a little stump or something and I looked out and I saw the rice fields and I was just like wow this is amazing and so um, 
that and the river that was it that run, runs along it, um, which makes it sort of a natural barrier for neighbors building right next to you. Oh, you know? yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, and so originally I was just going to build a little villa here that I could come to, and I quickly realized I'm not going to be able to be here that much. So I decided, well, let's build it someplace that other people can, can enjoy. And, um, and the idea was to put the yoga studio at the top of the building so that um, people would have this incredible view when they practice yoga. And, and um, we were very fortunate. We were the first hotel that was specifically dedicated to yoga in, in this area, which is now really known for yoga. And so people started to come and we built, just built, every year we build a couple more rooms and, and, uh, and it's expanded to what it is today. Now, you've named a lot of them after musicians and, of course, some of your own songs. Which is the most popular room? I would have to say the four, four, it used to be the Marley Room. Like, everybody wanted to be in the Marley Room. Um, uh, why? Just because they love Bob Marley. You know? <laughs> um, and then, but I think now um, people have really been enjoying being in the panorama rooms and especially the penthouses because they're so deluxe but all the rooms in this panorama building have this beautiful view and and um, it's the thing that we really cherish here and it's why that we have committed to keeping 50% of the land here in rice fields most places just build over every square centimeter and um, there's nothing left to, to look at and but we are also very proud of the fact, the fact that we're a working organic farm so a lot of the produce that we grow in the garden is used in the kitchen, the rice is used in the kitchen. And um, it's fun for us, you know, every now and then we yeah. get out there and plant rice and when it's cutting time we get out there and cut a bit of it. So And it's fun because in the panorama rooms people get to there's a vinyl record player in all the rooms and that's what people love. It's like the surprise and delight that we wanted to create. So imagine you get to put on your favorite record and then look out to the rice fields and see the working ducks that are a tradition oh, here in I Bali. So and you get to just, you get to, all your senses are touched in, in our room. So yeah. you mentioned the panorama room. So that's the new part. And so when did you plan? And that's where you came in to mm -hmm. actually, okay, we're going to build this. And you sort of took the reins on what it was going to be, of course, working together. Yeah. So when did that happen? And and then COVID, so tell us a little bit about that process. Well, we, we wanted to expand. So the original Soul Shine uh, was, is a retreat oasis, or was a retreat oasis. It was 16 boutique rooms that Michael organically built from 5 to 13 to 16. And we would always have guests who were fans of Michael's or just love what we do, and they wanted to maybe just come and have lunch or spend a couple nights. But teachers would come and host retreats and book the whole property. And so 42, 48 weeks of the year, it'd be full. And people didn't have the chance to do that. And so we wanted to expand and create space for bigger retreats or people to come and, and use the space. But the pandemic allowed us to take a very minimal pause, just a few months pause, but re-envision what the expansion would be. And that's that's kind of where I jumped in. And and it was such, it was so fun doing it with Michael because in partnership, Michael is just such a creative. Like if you gave me a blank piece of paper, my palms start to sweat where that's where Michael gets to like shine. And so it was really fun to have Michael just like share his vision and then I can play off his vision and build on it with each other. And then I got to execute that and bring that to life. 
and that felt really rewarding. Was it scary a becoming a, a, a hotelier as such or whatever you call it? For me, it's been, you know, I've been doing it for a while. It's kind of a natural progression, but the scale of Soulshine now is really grand, you know, and so it is a different experience here when, when we have as many people as we do now and as many different groups of people who come through. And at the same time, like, I don't feel scared by it because I love hospitality so much. Mm -hmm. And both of us come from different hospitality families. Um, we were never in it professionally, but her family's Persian and is very much like when the door opens and there's guests, it's like, get the food out, get the desserts <laughs> out, get the tea out, the coffee. Multiple dishes. I, I can see that. Table. Yeah. And my family was the opposite. My family, I was adopted in a family I grew up in, was very reserved, very quiet and not social at all. And so I always felt like an outsider in that regard. And it made me always want to be, as an adult, bringing people into my home and, and sharing in that way. Helen Hayes was speaking with musician and yoga retreat owners Michael and Sarah Franti at Soulshine in Bali. Helen's extended interview can be heard at www.soundcloud.com forward slash Travel Writers Radio. This is the Travel Writer Show on J Air 88 FM in Melbourne.